Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. So this morning, I want, to, I want you to welcome Phil and Melissa Schaefer. They're going to bring our message. They are both elders with us. Uh, Phil is not officially on the elder board right now, but he has been in the past, and he has influenced many of our lives in a way that he still functions spiritually with us in that capacity. Melissa is an elder on our board right now, and she's also our staff member of spiritual formation, and uh, they're going to bring our message this morning. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Russ. Good morning, Quest. If you've been around Quest for any length of time, you know that uh, we address important topics here, and we address these subjects because we have a desire to, to help people, uh, and we have a mandate to equip the saints. So we preach about things that we believe in and uh, that we believe will help us all to have a joyful and abundant life if we practice them. And today we get to talk about finances along that line. Uh, Melissa and I were part of planning Quest 18 years ago, and we love this church. We've had many life-changing experiences here. We have witnessed many lives changing through the ministry of Quest. I mentioned in the first service, it's, uh, it's just overwhelming. When we moved here, uh, started this church, our boys were, were little boys. And uh, one of them lives in New York City and one in Chicago, and the other one's in college today. They're growing up now. But they were discipled here. They were loved here. They were loved in, in the nursery, in, in the classroom, in this room. They learned how to love God. It's just overwhelming to see all that God's done. And many of you have touched their lives. So uh, we love this church, and we want to share with you a little bit of, of our journey today about how God taught us about giving and how to turn our finances over to God. And you're not hearing from us because Ross asked us to speak. And by the way, I do want to make sure that you understand that I am a volunteer staff member, so I'm not talking about my salary today. Just FYI, and I uh, love doing that. But I asked Ross if we could speak today. I kind of inserted us, and he said yes, graciously. After um, a couple weeks after our last board meeting in December, where we had to approve the 2014 budget, I have to tell you that meeting was not fun. It was uh, very painful for me, actually, to sit and look at the numbers and to hear kind of the report of where we were and where our budget was and that we were going to have to cut back our budget. So that's why we're up here today. And I don't even like being up here. So this message is for all of us. Uh, Phil and I actually have heard several things this year that have really has really impacted our giving and our thoughts about our resources. And this has been a thing that we've looked at for as long as we've been Christians. All of our adult lives, we've been really tuned in to this message and you know this topic but god has really been stretching us in some really powerful ways and we're sharing some of that with you today so i'm going to tell you a little bit about my history when i was 14 i was going to a super boring legalistic church with my mom and sisters and i hated it it was not that fun and i pretty much was moving away from that into a crummy life of drugs alcohol and promiscuity and i was not connected to god in 78, which was be when I was 15, my brother became a Christian. He was a young adult and began attending a church in Dayton, Ohio, where we lived that was growing and vibrant and had an amazing youth group. And he invited my sisters and myself to go. I declined, didn't need that, didn't want that. But my twin sister said yes, went to some youth retreat there and 
um, started attending the youth group, and I couldn't believe the difference in her. She never really had very much interest in God at all growing up. I, on the other hand, I probably accepted Christ at least 12 times because I was so fearful of the hellfire and brimstone that was taught in my church that I wanted to make sure I didn't go there. And But when I looked at her, I thought, wow, she's got all this peace, all this love, and she was a different person, and I was not that. So Melanie was consistently asking me to attend this youth group with her, and I finally said yes. Of course, by the end of that service, I was gladly running back into the arms of Christ. And it was not out of fear. It was out of a new understanding of how much he loved me. And that experience in that youth group, and because of that body of believers, changed the whole trajectory of my life. So my three sisters and I started attending there, and which was rather uh, smart of my mother, and even though she kept going to her church, which is great. We were discipled there, and one of the ways that we were discipled was in giving. They started a uh, building fund because we were outgrowing the building. It was such a vibrant church. It was needed a new space. And when I was 18 years old, we were making pledges. And the pastor asked us to give above and beyond our tithe and asked us to pray about what we're supposed to give, not just think about it and figure it out, you know, and see if we could figure out how to manage, squeeze a few more pennies. So I prayed, and I pledged $2,000 over three years to that campaign, which was about 5% more of my $12,000 a year income as a secretary. So I was giving my 10%, and then I gave that additional 5% over the next three years to that campaign. And it was kind of the beginning for me of experiencing and understanding what the joy of giving was about and how to trust God for that, because... I never knew anything about giving before that of money. And about the same time I was making this pledge, my sister Melanie moved to Chicago, and she left God in Ohio. She spent several years in, in Chicago and got married and came back in her late 20s, divorced and very unhappy woman. She remarried her high school sweetheart, had a couple children, and but really over the years, didn't have a whole lot of room for God and had a lot of bitterness and, and just stuff she needed to work on. So last year, I have to tell you that because of her kind of gradually warming back up to God and because of her beginning to attend that same church where we experienced Jesus in new ways, her children were baptized. She had two teenage children. And I didn't know back in 1981 that my tithe and my giving to that building fund was going to impact my niece, my nephew, and my sister. So that said, we're going to let Tim Keller teach you a few things that we've learned from him this year about giving. And we're going to give you some time just to listen and to the prolific writer and gifted preacher that he is. And we'll let you hear from us again after that. If you are people who know that you're a sinner saved by grace, not by works, you will live lives of radical generosity. If you are people, he's saying, that really do have the spiritual inheritance, you're going to be radically, promiscuously generous with your earthly inheritance. He says, if you believe the gospel, you'll live the way I have lived. And the very last thing he says, basically, is be careful about covetousness. Be careful about materialism and greed. Care about the poor. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
See, the reason why Jesus Christ doesn't have to say, look out, you might be committing adultery, but he, he doesn't say that, but he does have to say, look out, you might be greedy, is nobody thinks they're greedy. Nobody. See, when you're committing adultery, when you're doing lust, when you're doing that, you know you've got a problem. But the fact is that he has to say, look out for all kinds, because nobody thinks it's them. Nobody. In all my years, I've heard almost every kind of confession as a minister. Nobody's ever come to me and say, said, I spent too much money on myself. Nobody's ever done that. But here's, here's, here's what I'd like to consider, you to consider. If Jesus talks about greed and materialism 10 times, 20 times more than he talks about other kinds of sins, and if he says that essentially nobody ever thinks they're doing it, then you should start with the working hypothesis that it's probably a problem for you. I like giving money away, but it is something of an effort. <laughs> But it is never an effort for me to buy a book. Never. I can buy any kind of book, any book at all. I want it up on my shelf. It doesn't matter. I, I like the newer and the more hardback and the more expensive, the better. Why? Because I get my identity from being an authority, a teacher, a preacher. Oh, you know so much. Okay? So that's the thing I fight with all the time. Is my main identity... Does my value really rest in what Jesus Christ thinks of me and how he's loved me and what God thinks of me in Jesus? Is that it? Or is it that people say, oh, you're so smart? Well, it's both, and those things fight. And the way I know that it's still a fight I've got to fight is because of how incredibly easy it is to spend money on books. Effortless. Okay. Now, by the way, it's hard for me to spend money on clothes. I don't, I don't get much, as you can tell, out of how I look. <laughs> I get my significant security of how much I know, not how I look. I mean, it would be kind of a lost cause, wouldn't it? <laughs> but surely there's some people in this room who know that it is absolutely effortless to spend money on clothes. You could do it like that. You do it all the time. What does that show? It, the money's not the idol. The money shows that the approval you get and the sense of being pretty or the sense of being handsome or the sense of being sleek is, is way too important to you. And you can say, oh, I believe Jesus Christ is my identity, but actually that's your identity. That's a fight you need to fight. And then there's people who say, oh, I don't spend money on things. I don't have a nice house. I don't have, you know, you're pretty well off, but you, you're very proud of how frugally you live. In fact, nobody really knows how well off you are except you. But the reason why you don't give your money away at the proportions you ought to, the reason why it's all socked away is because it's your way of trying to control your own environment. You see, for you, you're, you're not an approval freak like some of us, and you're not a power freak, you're a security freak, a control freak, and it's your way of saying, through money I can control my world. People who spend money on the big houses and the getting into the circles and you know, wearing great clothes. Money isn't an idol. Money shows you where your idols are, but money is always in the service of an idol. And here's what an idol is. An idol, a false pseudo-salvific treasure. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. It's looking at something like your body or romance or your family or your power or your job or your approval and looking and saying, if I have that, then I know I'm somebody. 
And we're all looking at something besides Jesus and saying, if I have that, see, we're treasuring something. And our money shows us what we're truly treasuring. And it blinds us. Because we, like all addictions, addicts don't know what they're addicted to. Or they kind of do. But, they're, but we always minimize. And we kind of know we've got a problem with this. And we kind of know we have a problem with that. And, and, but the, the proof is in the pudding. To the degree that your heart is freed from false idols and pseudo-salvations, to the degree your heart is free from these things, you'll be able to give your money away like crazy. And to the degree you have trouble doing it because you really like to spend it on the house or on your, on your clothes or, on, or on, on securities or, or on savings or on books. To that degree that you're still in thrall to false saviors. And that's the reason why you're not more generous. And therefore, frankly, let's hear point three, last point. How are we going to break the, the power of this? You see, it's not enough for people to get up here and just say, you've got to do it or God will get you. You need to be generous or God will get you. And I, I know that you're not going to say that, but, you know, it can happen. People, you better be generous or God will get you. Okay, that's working directly on the will. Another approach is to say, you, you, you've got to be generous because look at all these poor things out there that need your money. That's working on the emotions. Another way is to actually work on the mind and say, uh, put your money to this and you'll get the most bang for your buck. You know, just, just run the numbers. You know, this many conversions for this many dollars. This is the best buy. All of those things will fall short of dealing with your heart in a way that you have to deal with your heart if you're ever going to heal the world with your giving. So how do we, how, how do we change? And here's how we change. Grace. The word of grace will make you generous. I commit you to the word of grace. Now, you probably even know a Sunday school definition of grace. What is it, everybody? God's riches at Christ's what? Expense. Okay, listen with me. Every other treasure but Jesus will enslave you. If you say, I know I'm okay because I'm smart. I've got all these books. I've got all these degrees. I know I'm okay because I'm pretty. I know I'm okay because I'm powerful. I know I'm okay because I'm the best at my job. I, I'm, I know. If you treasure these other things, if you treasure these things and say, if I have that, those treasures will run your life those tre because you have to have them. You panic if you don't have them. You panic if something goes wrong. You, uh, you, uh, you'll do anything. You'll cut corners. You'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll cheat. You'll lie. You'll, you'll stab people in the back because you've got to have that. But Jesus Christ is the one treasure who died to purchase you. See, all other treasures will demand that you do anything to get them. But Jesus Christ did anything to get you. All other treasures will demand that you go to the mat to purchase them. But Jesus Christ is the one treasure who actually died to purchase you. Your career is not going to die for your sins, but Jesus did. What do I mean? Why did Jesus come? Why would he come? What did he not have? I mean, he was rich. He had the world. He had the universe. He was upholding everything. Why did he come? The, there's only one thing that he didn't have. What was it? Us. If he hadn't come to earth, if he hadn't become a bo baby born in a manger, if he hadn't died on the cross, he would have lost us. And by coming to earth, he lost his glory. And by going to the cross, he lost his father. 
He lost, he, he lost the universe. He lost everything on the cross. You know, he was sent essentially to hell on the cross. What does that mean? That means we were more valuable to him than the universe, or he wouldn't have lost it to get us. We were more valuable to him than, than his glory, or he wouldn't have lost it to get us. That means we're his treasure. We're his ultimate treasure. We're the thing that drives him, drives him. He's done, he'll do anything for us. He has done anything to get us. And when I see him making me the ultimate treasure of his life, that melts my heart and makes him the ultimate treasure of my life. To the degree I see him making me his ultimate treasure, the one thing he's willing to die for, he becomes the one thing I'm willing to die for. And you know what that means? All these other things that you, are important to me just become nice things. The more I see Jesus Christ making me his ultimate treasure that makes him the ultimate treasure of my heart instead of books, instead of being smart, instead of anything else. And next thing you know, my money's free to be used to heal the world. I love the thought that Keller closed with, Christ lost everything on the cross for us. We are his ultimate treasure. And he is our ultimate treasure, not fame or looks or money. It's because of God's grace that we're forgiven and launched into life abundant. I also love Rich Nathan's quote about this grace. He says, the entire Bible tells us that we are children of God, not designed to be cups or containers of grace. Rather, we are designed to be conduits of grace. We children of God are not meant to be cul-de-sacs of grace or dead ends of grace, as if the grace of God terminates with us. Rather, we are designed to be highways of grace, pipelines of grace. In other words, the grace of God is meant to flow through us to others and not just to our own benefit. And as Keller said of this grace, knowing that my money is free to be used to heal the world. Powerful stuff. I accepted Christ at age 23. Um, I was in Dayton, Ohio, and I was overwhelmed by the love and the grace that was shown to me by people that I worked with. I didn't know anything of that before. And one day I inquired as to what was going on. Why did these people care for me so purely and so well? And my boss told me a story about how Christ had changed his life from one of alcohol abuse and infidelity to the abundant life that I saw every day in, in, at work. Soon thereafter, I accepted Christ. I was discipled by men in the church who introduced me to the Bible and helped me to understand what it meant to live obediently as a disciple of Christ. And I was both inspired and haunted by Christ's words in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Part of the education that I received as I was being discipled was on the issue of stewardship and the thought that God is the owner of everything. We're just stewards or managers of the material blessings that he's given us. I learned of the principle of tithing, of giving God first fruits from the income that I received, all of which was a bit overwhelming to me. I was a new Christian. This was my first job. This was my first car payment. I uh, had to learn that when I made a deposit for an apartment or a utility, they kept my money. All this was new. I knew nothing of this. And now, now I'm expected to give 10% of my income to God? Really? That's the deal? That's what I signed up for. Um, and yet, the scripture, if you love me, you'll obey my commands, uh, was there for me to chew on. My boss also read this scripture to me from Malachi 3.10. Melissa's going to teach on this in just a few moments. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. 
and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. It's an interesting challenge. You know, there's some discussion about whether tithing is an Old Testament principle or, or a New Testament principle. But one of the things I know is that everything in the New Testament is bigger, it's beyond, it's grander, it's, it's giving more. In 2 Corinthians 9, we read that we will be enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. For God loves a cheerful giver, above and beyond anything that happened in the Old Testament. So my boss told me that I should try it for six months to see if God would provide. And I decided that I would do so. Almost immediately, opportunities to build more income began to appear. True to his promise, God poured out his blessing. We've been giving God the first fruits of our, of our tithe for 35 years, and we've been married for 31 of those years. And he is still pouring out blessings that we can't contain. And some of those blessings are financial. Some, but all, not all. And I think just to, to prove that God has a sense of humor, this church that I had just uh, began attending was the one that Melissa was attending, and they were having a building program. And so now I've started to tithe, and I'm on fire for God, and word to the wise... You're on fire for God, and you're attending a church that's having a giving program or building program. Wonderful things might happen if you if you listen to this God. So another challenge was about to come uh, my way, and I'll never forget sitting in church one day, and a couple shared a testimony. Uh, this couple had been praying for a period of time as to what they would give to this church building program. As Melissa said, it was a three-year uh, giving program to, to help build the church. And uh, they decided to pray independently, and then at the, at the end of some prescribed time, they would come together and share what they thought God would have, would have them give. And so they did that, and they came back together, and they had a number written down, and that number was identical for each of them. It was $15,000. It was 5000 a year over a three-year period over and above their tithe. And for that couple, that was a major step of faith, a big, big step of faith. And I was blown away. I was blown away by a lot of that. Remember, I'm a new Christian. And just the fact that God would speak to people was you know, news to me. It's like, wow. So you can actually ask God and he might interact with you. That's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's amazing. And that they were willing to listen to God about their giving was also amazing. And, and so I began to pray. You know, God, what would you have me do to, to support this campaign? And, and what might happen? And... and by the way, God, I don't have any uh, spouse or even a girlfriend to confirm that with. As I was still waiting for this beautiful young lady to grow up so I could ask her out. Um, so help me with this. How, how are we going to confirm this? And uh, so I prayed about that over a period of time. I had lunch with our pastor. And we're sitting at Bill Knapp's in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, my pastor says to me, so Phil, have you considered what you might give to the building program over a three-year period? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I've got a number in my, in my mind. I think this is uh, something that I can afford. I said, but there's another number that I really believe that God wants me to pledge. And uh, my pastor begins to cry. Now, work with me, guys. You know, here I am, new Christian at Bill Knapps. This guy's crying. I'm looking around. I'm not feeling real comfortable. But he shares with me. He said, Phil, as I prayed about how we would... Uh, build this church and be able to afford that. He said, God gave me the names of three people that would give $50,000 or more, and you were one of them. He said, I told the Holy Spirit he had the wrong guy, because there's no way you're, you're going to be able to afford that. I knew that that was the number that God had given me. There was no question about it. And, and yet I wanted to be careful, because I didn't want to make a pledge that would hurt the church, you know, that they wouldn't have the money. But, 
God provided over that three-year period. My income grew. I still tithe. I was able to give that amount over and above the tithe. As God just did amazing, amazing things in our lives. And you'll see uh, what happened along the way there. During that three-year period, she did turn 18, so I asked her out and convinced her to marry me. My sons love this picture because they don't remember Gavin's stash. So you know, pretty, pretty cool stuff. And what's amazing is, you know, that church, uh, it's Christian Life Center. For those of you that tr drive west on I-70, when you pass I-75, there's a big church on the left in Dayton, Ohio, beautiful place. And that's where Melissa and I got married. And that's where uh, our niece and nephew were baptized. And, and so much uh, good stuff was happening there. But this was an important time in our lives. God taught Melissa and me important lessons that God is faithful 100% of the time. He's always faithful. 100% of the time. We learn that he cares about how we handle our finances. <clears throat> we learn that generosity is transformational, transforming both the heart of the giver and the lives of those impacted by the gift. And we learn that it is literally not possible to outgive God. It is not possible to outgive God. It is not possible to outgive God. It is not possible. It is so much fun to see that. And so now we make a giving budget every year. Uh, we make advanced decisions how to give our money away. And we listen to what the Lord is, is asking about additional gifts. We've identified four key areas of giving for our family. One is to give out of obedience, which is the tithe. But that's only the start. That's where it begins. And then it gets, gets even more fun. We give out of obedience because of world relief. You know, we church are called to care about the least of these. And when we look around at people that don't have drinking water or people that have been sex trafficked or people that don't have job opportunities, the kingdom of God has got to engage in that and do something about it. We also give out a strategic funding, uh, an investment, giving with a purpose, planning tomorrow, today. We might give to a ministry at a very critical junction where if they have money now, they're really going to be able to impact uh, uh, lives. We also give out of encouragement capital to existing ministries that are making a difference. Uh, evangelism ministries. One of our favorite such ministries is Young Life that many of you are familiar with. We, we love Young Life. And so we give to them to impact people's lives. And over the course of our marriage, we have given away an amazing amount of money. And it's tempting at times to think how much more net worth we'd have if we didn't give or if we didn't give so generously. You know, maybe we could fly first class and not coach. But those things don't matter. The, the joyful obedience to God, the dreaming of the impact that those dollars have had, uh, that's what really, really matters. And I truly believe that we wouldn't have the things that we have today if we hadn't been obedient to God. If we had held on to what is ours, our lives, even our financial lives, wouldn't be where they are today. God's blessed us abundantly above and beyond anything that we could have imagined. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, First Fruits teaching by Robert Morris. <clears throat> he uh, is a pastor in Texas who does amazing teaching on giving and has a vibrant church. He talks about um, these kind of strange scriptures, and I'll read a few of them to you. But in biblical times, it's talking about if an animal is unclean, which is usually going to be their uh, first offering to God, then a clean one has to be sacrificed for it to be redeemed. So in Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. 
And then later in that chapter, he says, you're to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck and redeem every firstborn among your sons. So these sound like a bunch of strange scriptures, right? But I want you to understand that there's a principle that's really crucial when we apply it to ourselves. When we were born, we were born unclean. When Jesus was born, he was born clean. So the clean, Jesus, had to be sacrificed so the unclean, us, could be redeemed. That said, Jesus is God's tithe so that we could be redeemed. And I love that he took that initiative. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't be in this position, right, of being saved by grace. So this is what the tithe does for us. This tithe, when we give our first fruits to God, then the rest of our fruits are blessed. They're redeemed. And when we hear this, it makes us think about tithing in a whole new light, right? The truth is tithing was a principle in Scripture hundreds of years before there was a law. And so it's not just simply a law that we're following. It's the principle of putting God first in our lives. That we're saying, okay, I get this. God didn't accept uh, Abel's offering, or he accepted Abel's offering, not Cain's, because Abel brought the firstborn. Cain brought his offering kind of through the process of time. And God only accepts the first. It takes real faith to give that first fruit offering. When you say, right off the top, I'm going to give you that first thing, that first 10%. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Exodus 23, again, talks about first fruits and bringing them to the house of the Lord. All that we have is 100% his. So he's always using this word, bring, instead of give, because it already belongs to him. He's not talking about us giving something that belongs to us. He's talking about us bringing to him that 10% that is already his. So when God's first in this area, he's going to be first in in most areas of our lives. I'm not going to say we're going to be 100% his because I don't think that we ever all get there in this life. But he is trying to help us and break us from that American and just human attitude that it's mine, it belongs to me mindset. That's not a Christian worldview. And he wants us to be free of that. In fact, he says that if we don't tithe, there is a curse. And the scripture Phil mentioned earlier, Micah 3, 9, and 11. And by the way, you're going to get a handout at the end of the service with lots of resources about some of these things. So you can look for yourselves. But it says in verse 9, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And he's talking about the tithe because he's saying they're not bringing in their tithe. And he says, test me in this. And it's the only place in scripture where he says it's okay to test him. And he says, if you will bring your tithe, I'll prevent the devouring of your crops. So he is saying, he's going to rebuke the devourer in our lives. Tithing breaks a curse. If we're not being uh, faithful and we haven't put in motion following biblical standards of stewardship, then we're cursed. And that may sound harsh to you, but... There's lots of places in the Bible that talks about our blessings, and we're never afraid to say we claim those blessings, right? But there's lots of places in the Bible that talks about how we can be cursed, and this is one of them. 
If you know anything about my ministry here, you know I love it when people get freedom from such things. It's what makes me come alive. So I want people to get freedom here. I want uh, there to be just liberal and amazing freedom here. The final thing that I want to um, get into is talking about trading impure security for a place of pure insecurity. So think about that for a second. But this is all about letting go of the ways that we try to gain security. So some of the ways that Keller talked in in the video, ways we find our identity that aren't really pure ways of finding our identity, not holistic and not scriptural. And then we're able to move into a place of pure insecurity. So when I'm willing to take a risk, be surrendered, have faith, and it feels insecure to me, it's not truly insecure, but it feels that way, but it's pure. And that's what we're asking uh, in the area of finance today is to do this. The New Testament talks about another principle of first, and that's that principle of uh, talking about seeking the kingdom first. So freedom from anxiety is one of the inward evidences of seeking the kingdom of God. And there's this inward spirit of trust that happens when we're able to do that. So Richard Foster talks about three inner attitudes that we can have that can lead to peace. He says, if what we have we receive as a gift, that means that we're dependent on God for everything. It's not the result of our efforts and our labor, but his care. And if what we have is to be tended to by God... That means God's able to protect it. We, we can trust him with that. And if what we have is available to other people, right, we can give it away because we're, fear, we're not afraid of the future. We're not uh, believing lies. Instead, we're believing that God really is who he says he is, an almighty creator, a loving father who's going to be there. Then we're going to possess that freedom from anxiety. And I really want to challenge women here, especially because, yeah, this is a generalization, but I'm going to say it anyway. We tend to be security-based, which is fine. And I think this can be a struggle for women to want to be able to be free to give to the kingdom and to give generously or to allow our husband or children, if we have husbands and children, to be able to do that as well. So I just want to encourage you to know that there's a lot more security in living in this place. Great. You know, some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, Phil, that's great for you to say, you know, talk about tithing, but you don't know my budget. And I would just encourage you that as God speaks to you and calls you forth in obedience, regardless of where you are, to take steps and move in that direction, I can tell you that time after time after time after time in our married life, we've been in a situation where... I've looked at something financially and said there's no way we can do more or afford what we're, we're doing. You know, we can't keep giving, we can't do whatever. And yet we faithfully gave and we were obedient. And God over and over and over again just creates different paradigms. You know, you may feel like you're in a box. He doesn't feel like you're in a box. It's not a box he created. Watch what he does and watch how he blesses your life as you step forth in obedience in all areas of our lives, right, including financially. And I also just want to affirm the, uh, some of the younger people here. I, you know, I'm, I'm watching your faces as we talk, and you know, the, old, the old folks are up there talking about money today. But uh, one of the things I so much love about Melissa's story is she's this teenager, and she starts tithing, and then she gives beyond that because God had her heart. And she learned that principle right away. 
and it has impacted her entire life. I can't think of a more important thing for us to learn um, as, as we set out into adulthood. So I want to give you a few Quest facts. Melissa talked earlier about Quest budget, and so I want to kind of close that loop and give you a couple of comments. Um, Melissa and I think that Quest is the most spiritually and emotionally healthy church we've ever attended. And that is Quest right now, this Quest, the one that we attend today the most spiritually and emotionally healthy church we've ever attended. Pastor Ross has said this about Quest. He said, the ministry at Quest has never been stronger in the last six plus years. God is indeed working in us and through us in a way that is making a significant difference. It has the potential to make so much more impact in our community. God is bringing color, light, and life to those around us. People are coming to and back to faith in Jesus and finding healing. Just amazing stuff that's happening here at Quest. Uh, just a slide to celebrate just a few of those things. You know, changed lives, evangelism, and spiritual habits strengthening, healing in relationships. 24 people baptized this past year. That's just an amazing number. And, and don't pass over that. I, I look back in my life, that was the most important thing that ever happened in my life, is when I gave my life to Christ. It was a game changer, right? 38 kids at VBS making a decision to follow Christ. As Ross said earlier, you all stepped up and helped supply Quest Care, raising more than the amount of the challenge, 26500 over the 25000 challenge that we could uh, provide support and assistance to people who need it. The Thousand Words campaign has raised almost $54,000, and most of that money uh, has come in. These monies were committed above and beyond our regular tithing. And so as we work together, Quest is a place where people can safely work out their faith in God. This is what I love about it. We're seeing this happen. Together, we're helping people who desperately want uh, uh, their marriages to be better realize that dream. We're encouraging parents who are wondering how to raise kids to be healthier people to walk into that. We're helping people learn how to hear God and sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. Helping people engage in more meaningful relationship with God in prayer, as well as learning to minister to others in prayer. Just amazing, powerful stuff is happening here. And yet, there is much to be done. Uh, let us look around. Ponder for a minute, if you would, your community, the streets you live on, the people you hang with, your associates at work, your family members. What do you see? All around us, we see the pain of broken relationships. We see people captive by their fear or the pain of the past, people in need, hurting people in need of hope. Just overwhelming needs here in our community. You don't have to look too far to see that people need the grace of a living, loving God. We need more, right? We need to do more. And, and Quest has operated on an extremely tight budget since 2009. Uh, the tightness of this budget continues to impede our ability to move forward strongly as we believe God desires us to. And it's sad to me, we fell short last year of almost $70,000 of our 2013 budget. $70,000. As a result, we've had to cut our 2014 operating budget by $50,000 for this year. And Quest, I want to tell you something. We're going to feel that in some very difficult ways. This is going to impact staffing. It's going to impact ministry. It's going to impact our ability to make a difference to hurting people in our community. And one of the things I'll assure you of is we don't have any clue about giving records of individuals at Quest, but I asked Ross to provide some, some data. Some of you know I'm a financial type person. That's what I do for a living. Quest annual budget, $650,000. In 2013, 250 family units gave during the year. 
106 family units are giving regularly, giving each month. 15 families gave two-thirds of the annual budget for, for Quest. That doesn't mean that only 15 families are tithing, but it does represent that the minority are supporting the financial needs of Quest. But look at these numbers. I took a look at the median income in our area. Now, New Albany is certainly an outlier, um, but let's, let's look at Westerville for a minute. The median income, half above, half below, is $78,000. So if we had a family in Westerville that was tithing, they would give $7,800. If the 106 families that give regularly to Quest did that, if they tithe, our budget would be $827,000. How much more could we impact with that budget versus the one that we're trying to live by. And look at the, if of all 250 families were obedient and giving, wow, could we make an impact on this community and on the planet Earth? And you may be sitting there saying, well, Phil, I don't make 78,000. Well, you know, that's, that's the median. If the person who makes 30,000 tithes and the person that makes 150,000 tithes, we get there. And we can impact this community. Out of obedience, God will bless us as we... Um, are obedient to him. He'll bless you as the giver, and he will certainly bless our church. You know, due to the, uh, the size of the physical plant and the size of the church, we need growth and finances. We have a dedicated, excellent staff. You know, the uh, church staff here that's the quality that many churches wish they could have. In my opinion, all of them are underpaid. And they're staying here because of the vision of Quest and because of the relationships of Quest. But long-term, we need to grow. We need to pay them better so that they're not forced at some point to decide to leave just based on their family's finances. We need to be obedient to make that happen. How many more lives could be impacted if we all responded in obedient and generous giving? How might our community be transformed through generosity? So I want you to look with us at an example of a community changed by giving. This is an amazing story. In 2001, Western Uganda was torn by war. In the aftermath, one town led by Bishop Hannington Bamuka chose to focus on what they had, then decided to trust God to rebuild their war-torn town through their own generosity. Watch how this generosity transformed the people of the village and the village itself. Isn't that an amazing story? I just uh, love the people that are in that story. The needs of the people were great, and yet these beautiful people gave what they had to meet those needs. Bishop Hannigan said, even in the refugee camp, God has abundant resources for his work. These people had no homes. They had nothing. Uh, but they gave what they had, blankets or whatever. And I, I love the quote by the woman close to the end of the video. She said, we used to give out of a sense of duty, but now we're willing to count it a joy in our hearts because it will make a great change for our community. These people said that generosity had transformed their village. They caught the vision that God had called them to partner with him in bringing new life to the world around them couple of uh, quotes for you as I, as I close this great mission that God's called us to. Author Richard Stearns has said this. He said, God called us to go into the world and change it by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, modeling a different vision of community, inviting others to join it. It was nothing less than a calling to partner with God in establishing a new world order. That was the mission. And that's our mission right here, right here in your neighborhood, in your workplace. One other quote by Ken Boa. He says, Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has set eternity in our hearts. Since this is so, people have deeply embedded desires for meaning and fulfillment that no natural happiness will satisfy. The eternal is what gives meaning to the temporal. It is when we live in the light of our true destiny that we see our calling and purpose from a biblical perspective. 
Instead of asking, what will I leave behind me, it is better to ask, what am I going to send ahead? You know, I picture the lame woman giving her chicken. I mean, that's such a beautiful picture. And uh, she understood that the eternal gives meaning and purpose to life. These amazing people in that village understood that generosity is transformational for others and for me. That giving of our resources brings great joy. And so, Quest, I leave you with this. I believe that God's challenge for each and every one of us here today is to bring what you have. If all you have is a chicken, offer it to God. If God's blessed you with financial resources, offer them to Him in obedience and joyful giving. Let's rebuild our village. Let's not miss out on an opportunity to minister to those around us because we lack resources. Let us give generously and count it joy. See if, once again, God will open the floodgates and there will not be a way for us to store all the blessings that he wants to give us, Quest. Thank you. I'd be lying to you if I didn't, uh, didn't honestly say that when I see numbers like Phil and Melissa put up uh, what if everybody tithed, that I couldn't get excited about that, about the difference we could make in people's lives. I mean, if we had stuff like that, we would have counseling and we would be making a difference in the divorce rate in our community. We'd be making a difference in the suicide rate in our community. We would be making a difference in the happiness of kids being raised in healthy homes because of counseling services, because of youth camps, because of preschools, because of so much. And that excites me. But I got to tell you, honestly, the thing that excites me the most is I was taught tithing as a child. And I can tell you, I've met many people like Phil and Melissa with the same story who weren't taught it as a child, who learned tithing as they grew older and generosity and how God has transformed their lives. And I, I would want nothing more than for every single one of you here to have that same sense of freedom, that same, same sense of joy and satisfaction by having learned that God does prove himself. He invites us to test him in this, in generosity and giving. And he invites us to really good works to make a huge difference. And I get excited about that. We're going to receive our offering now. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for all that you are doing here, for the many, many lives that you are touching and you are bringing freedom to. You are bringing health and healing to in their emotions, in their relationships, physically. And Lord, we just stand here with our arms open wide and ask you to pour out more. And we also stand here today with a heart of surrender saying, Lord, we're going to test you. We're going we're gonna to see you in this. We want to be obedient and we're going to take steps that direction. Lord, thank you for your generosity to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.